Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. But before I read those verses, I invite you to join with me in prayer. Almighty God, give us ears to hear your story in these words of scripture. Give us eyes to see your story in the faces of those that surround us. And give us faith enough that by your grace, we might serve you until the end of our days. Amen. Listen now for a word from the Lord found in the Gospel of John. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, Gather up the fragments left over, so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of helping lead the faith marriage retreat that happened over in Destin. The night before, Thomas had been kind enough to go and fill up his car, which I was driving for the trip, so that that would be one less thing I had to worry about when I headed out in the morning. What a gift it was. I hopped on the road, and I didn't have to think twice about it. I enjoyed our time with the group, and then after worship on Sunday, I packed up the car and returned home excited to see my boys and get some good snuggles. As I was driving... I immersed myself in an audiobook, and as I drove, the miles passed quickly until all of the sudden, I'm shocked back to reality by the ding of some signal or alarm on Thomas's car. I look down at the heads up display, and there I see those words low fuel. I look at the gas gauge, and not only does it say that I am close to empty, the gauge is needling alarmingly close to a negative 
response. I immediately start to scan the road ahead on I-10 to see if there is an exit sign, some recognition that there will be gas ahead. Panic immediately sets in for me because all I can see ahead are rows of pine trees and tiny my marker signs in the distance. So I do naturally what anyone does. I pause my audiobook. I turn off the air conditioning like that's going to conserve this negative amount of gasoline that I have left, and I begin to debate if I can just coast to a gas station on prayers. Will I have enough to make it? For three miles, clutching the steering wheel, I drive, seeing nothing. Until finally, in the distance, I see that miraculous sign two miles ahead, gas station. Surely the low fuel warning will have given me at least five miles to get there, right? But how into the book was I? Was that actually the first ding that the car made? Was I really paying attention as I take the exit I see that the gas station is only a stone's throw away, and the tension begins to leave my body. Somehow, running on empty, I manage to pull into the gas station and up to the pump so that I can refuel. And I can't help but think that I, in that moment, was a bit like Philip in our lesson this morning. Do you ever feel like you are running on empty? Are you ever confident that there will not be enough? There's not enough time in my day. There's not enough money in the bank account. There are not enough people to pull this thing off. These are just a few of the examples of the way that I live into that Philip mindset, hurling excuses of why I can't help meet the needs of others or serve God in the way that I'm called to serve. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, you sound nothing like me, Trinity. Well, good. I hope not. But I wonder if you've ever thought perhaps that you're too old to do something. Or maybe you think you're too young. Perhaps you don't have the right degree. You haven't studied that topic long enough. To each of us comes the gospel lesson this morning. A young boy provides something that seems laughable, absurd almost. The boy provides his lunch, his loaves and fish that his mother probably packed for him, and he provides it as an offering to Jesus. But Jesus doesn't laugh. In the face of an idea that wouldn't be seen as enough to feed the crowd, Jesus does something miraculous. Jesus takes the little, the almost nothing, the absurd, and blesses it. The boy didn't appear to have enough, but there are two ingredients we shouldn't miss, 
two things the boy did have. He was present and he was willing. Jesus takes what the little boy offers and not only makes it enough, Jesus blesses those loaves and fish to make more than enough. After Jesus hands the food out, the people eat until they are full and the excess is gathered up. Jesus doesn't just bless those folks with enough. Jesus blesses them to the point of abundance. Twelve baskets full were gathered, the story tells us. Perhaps it was a array of reminding the people of how God provided for the twelve tribes of Israel in the wilderness. Perhaps it was a way of Jesus caring for those twelve disciples, the twelve who had questioned how there would be enough to feed so many teaching them not to live from a place of scarcity, but to live from God's abundance. Jesus took what little was given and out of abundance blessed many. But this may not have happened if the boy had not been present and willing to be used. A few months ago, this church commissioned a team of youth and adults to go to Guatemala to serve God through construction and medical mission work. Many of our team had those questions. Are we actually able to do this work? I'm pretty sure I'm not skilled to volunteer in a medical clinic. But just like in our gospel lesson, even when it seems absurd. When we present ourselves, our abundant God is willing to bless us and to use us in ways that are exceedingly more than enough. Buenos dias. I worked on the construction crew on this trip to Guatemala. This was my third trip to Portia de Solomon, and I was glad to see how their mission program continues to grow. Lloyd and Melanie Moreau decided it was time to pass on the leadership of Porch after 17 years of faithful service to God. A quote from the Porch Talk a monthly publication says a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Their first step was to leave Tallahassee and move their family to start a mission program in Panahashel was a leap of faith. That single step of faith in 2005 has left an impact of God's calling that will be lasting there for years. Greg and Rachel Magahad have now taken the reins and will bring new blood to God's service there. Our job was to lay the foundation starting from scratch on a new house. The block building was for two stepsisters, Miriam and Blanca. One of the sisters was schizophrenic and was lost for two months before she was found. The sisters worked alongside us to help move concrete blocks. They assisted us in tying rebar 
they were not connected to any family and felt blessed to receive a house from strangers. We felt we were now part of their family through God. The house we were working on would also have a store in the front that they could sell needed goods to the small agricultural community so they could make a living. Our construction crew was six people, Jill, John Miller, Laura, Carson, and Kurt, along with four construction workers from Porch. John Miller and Carson worked on digging footers, hauling dirt, and digging a septic tank six foot deep. Laura, Kurt, Jill, and I bent wire and tied rebar for the footers and walls. Lonnie was there to make sure we were doing it right. During the breaks, John Miller and Carson played soccer with the kids in the dirt street. Laura would pass out snacks we had brought along. The kids would line up with happy faces. The neighbors there felt our friendship. Just to give you an idea of what uh, those construction sites like, the ones we worked on in the last, in the last three trips there, uh, Panahashell is about 5,200 feet in elevation, and we were generally working around 7,500 7, feet um, elevation. So you're in the mountains, and when we first got there to the construction site, um, the place was between two buildings, and there were two pieces of tin left from where they tore the building down, and their dogs laid on the top of those two sheets of metal because that was all that was left of their house. Um, and, the, and the clouds would come and go in there at the elevation we were at. Sometimes it was just foggy in there. So that's just an idea of what it, you know, what it was like. Um, at the end of the week, we got to attend the dedication of a home near the International Highway. The family was so appreciative of their new homes, or their new home, which had a bathroom, kitchen, and running water. They cooked tamales for us, hung balloons, and thanked us with tears in many eyes. One of Porch's outreach programs is an Alcoholics Anonymous rehab program that has, houses 50 to 60 men for a 90-day stay. Two men from Tallahassee funded this program to get it started. On our last mission trip three years ago, Lloyd, Luke Shelley, and I took a 30-minute boat ride across the lake there to visit Tatloy. Alcoholism, alcoholism is a problem in Guatemala. We talked with the director about the need for a women's AA program there and the need to fund it. On this visit, we found out they now have a new women's AA in-house AA rehab program. Hope is what this mission brings to the indigenous people that are touched by porch. Lonnie, who works for porch, was a bar owner and an alcoholic. He went through the treatment program at Tatloy. Lonnie said that God worked through Lord and Melanie to change the direction of my life. We recently saw pictures of the open house for Miriam and Blanca's house and, and store. It looks great. Their new store has lighting, shelves, and it's stocked with merchandise. At the open house, they cooked hot dogs for 100 people and served ice cream that they made themselves. Another of the over 150 houses that Porch has built 
through many volunteers over the years who have given the volunteers who have given their time and talent to construct. This mission of God in Guatemala has changed the lives of so many people. Good morning, my name is Emily McConaughey, and this summer I got the pleasure of being able to go to Guatemala and share that amazing experience with my mom. Unlike Mr. Doug, I was on the medical team, which passed out any basic medicines that you and I can find right down the street at the Walgreens. We passed out things like Tums, Tylenols, Advils, and prenatal vitamins. I was able to help keep the kids occupied while their parents would wait for a checkup, prescription, and then picking up their medicine. This could take anywhere from four hours to all day just to pick up things that would take you and I 10 minutes. To distract the kids, we would do things like paint nails, bring out jump ropes or balls, and bring out bubbles, and pass out little treats. We also held vacation Bible school for the kids at each place we went to. We had amazing translators that would help lead the kids in a game of parachutes, a devotional, and a craft that they could take home. One of my fondest memories is of one day that we came into a school that we were using for our facility. We had driven about an hour up winding hills and about half of us were car sick. And as we walked into the school with our bags full of supplies, everyone started cheering for us. They rose to their feet and clapped for each and every one of us. Their patience and gratitude for even the smallest things is astonishing and truly makes a mark on your life. The way they're able to have so much love and joy within them, even though their hardships are so much more than ours, especially the kids. We went to one town where their houses were built on pieces of tin that were propped together. And yet, when the kids saw us coming, I don't think you've ever seen a bigger smile on a child's face. When we passed out tennis balls, played hot potato, and painted nails, they would laugh and smile and bring so much joy, even though they didn't have much to be joyful about. The love of God is so present in them, even through their hardships. One little boy in this town made it his mission in life to help me with whatever I needed. As I painted nails, he wanted to hold the bottle. If some dripped, he would wipe it up. When it got in my hair, he cleaned it out. And when he saw the little holes in my ears that had things sticking out of it, he had all of his friends come observe with him. And there are so many more stories that I wish I could tell you, but mainly what I took away from this trip is that no matter how hard life gets, God's joy, patience, and gratitude shines through no matter what. And I will never forget my time in Guatemala. Whether digging a foundation or painting fingernails, the simple and small things we offered to God were abundantly multiplied to bless not only the people of Guatemala, but each member of our team. Normally at Faith, we share in communion on the second Sunday of the month. The larger church, not just of Presbyterians, but of Christians around the globe, has selected to observe World Communion Sunday on the first Sunday in October. It's a chance for us to be reminded of our oneness in Christ with all our siblings from around the world, from Guatemala to Greenland. To work towards the kingdom that Christ has taught about, we even collect an offering on World Communion Sunday for peace and global witness, to ensure that some don't go hungry while others are wasting excess.
And so as we gather around God's table on this World Communion Sunday, I'm reflecting on just what it is that you and I can bring to this table. You see, in Christ, the meal has already been provided. We're being invited to a feast by a God who doesn't just make sure everyone has a few crumbs to eat, but rather we're invited by a God who sets a table worldwide where all are to be welcomed. And as I listen to our gospel lesson this morning, I hear a message that the only thing you and I need to bring is ourselves. You are enough. You with your self-doubt and your self-esteem. You with your inner voice that is telling you, this probably won't work out quite like we had hoped. And you with your optimistic worldview that says, there is enough. God will take what we are. God will take who we are and will bless it in such loving and abundant ways that there will be more than enough. Enough compassion, enough forgiveness, enough love, enough time as we join our fellow believers all over the world at this table May we clearly hear the lesson from the Gospel of John and the lesson from our trip to Guatemala of the abundance that God can provide if we, like the little boy, are present and willing. So today, may we move from the buts and the what-ifs and into that childlike faith. Let us show up to see what the God of abundance wants to do next. To the glory of God. Amen.